Welcome to Disruptors, the podcast for bright sparks fueled by great ideas that have changed the world. In each episode, we chat with some of the most innovative disruptors from our community at the King's Entrepreneurship Institute. We discover how they've used their entrepreneurial skills to develop their ideas for their business ventures, tested those ideas, and compelled others to do the same. Hi, and welcome back to Disruptors. My name is Rachel Stuckey. I am Head of Entrepreneurial Skills at the Entrepreneurship Institute at King's. The Entrepreneurship Institute is King's dedicated hub to innovation and entrepreneurship. And today I'm very happy to be joined by Bahini Panja, the co-founder and CEO of Panakia Technologies. Welcome. Thanks, Rachel. Good seeing you. <laughs> yeah, how are you doing? I'm all right. Not too bad. Just been very busy. 2021 has been an incredibly intense and a busy year. So looking forward to what it brings. <laughs> That's a very optimistic outlook. So could you give everybody listening a little introduction to your venture, who you are, and your uh, a little bit about your background? Sure. So I'm Paini Pandya. I'm the CEO and co-founder, as you mentioned, of Panekia Technologies. We are building the next generation of instrument-free precision diagnostic technologies. What this means is we are trying to make precision diagnostics more accessible to patients by reducing the number of lab tests which are needed across the world. And we are starting with tackling cancer testing, making it faster, making it more accessible and more economical. In terms of my background, I spent nearly a decade doing cancer research. I pursued my PhD at King's College London and then my postdoc at the University of Cambridge. During my PhD, I had, you know, cancer scare where I had to wait for a long time to get an all clear. But this incident propelled me towards exploring avenues whereby I could translate my scientific expertise into real world applications. So whilst I was still at King's, I started dabbling in entrepreneurial activities, worked with several different organizations, both in a consulting capacity as well as around supporting entrepreneurship and startups. And then eventually decided it was time to take the leap. And I joined Entrepreneur First, as well as King's 20 Accelerator simultaneously to find my own startup. I met my co-founder Pandu at Entrepreneur First. And the reason why we clicked together instantly was because we had both worked in the cancer space and we had worked in a niche area of cancer where we looked at, you know, linking phenotypic changes in cancers to biological outcomes using a variety of different approaches and technologies. And that's how Panakia was born. That's a pretty crazy journey from personal experience with very in-depth scientific experience coming together and meeting a co-founder who was in that same space. You've had quite an interesting journey and hearing you kind of describe it like that. So had entrepreneurship for you ever been something that you'd thought about when you were kind of choosing your career path or was it something that you kind of stumbled into later on? So I would say the answer is not as clear And I would describe my journey to entrepreneurship as a series of light bulb moments uh, rather than one big light bulb moment. Since I was eight years old, I knew I wanted to have a career in research and I knew I wanted to make an impact on the world. I wanted to work in the healthcare space because I wanted to be the person bringing forth new knowledge and new tools 
to help doctors help more patients. I realized that was the best way to maximize the difference I would be able to make in this world. And that's pretty much what I started on and which was precisely why I picked up a a PhD in cancer biophysics at King's. I was actually uh, directed towards cancer as a subject because I lost a friend to cancer during my uh, undergraduate studies. And eventually, you know, this became my core area of focus in the last 10, 12 years. And it's something I'm personally even more passionate about because of my own brush. So, you know, throughout this time, I was always very, very focused on academia. I was very focused more so on developing innovations which could help accelerate or improve existing standard of care that we see in the world today. But of course, as I mentioned, my own incident, as well as the realization uh, during my PhD that academia would probably take years for my research to materialize and it would take decades to translate the new knowledge, the new innovations that I would develop into real world applications kind of propelled me towards entrepreneurship. Having said that, I come from a very entrepreneurial family. So my granddad was a professor and an entrepreneur. My dad is an entrepreneur. So so in a sense, it ran in the family. And uh, in hindsight, it seems like a no-brainer at this point in time. But if you had asked me 10 years back, would I be an entrepreneur? I would have probably not said yes. That's interesting that you can kind of look back and join the dots in retrospect than than you can plan them going forward. I think that's the case for for a lot of people when you look back and that makes far more sense now. Yes. Interested in what you what you just did in terms of it was your granddad and then it was your dad and now you because we're recording this around International Women's Day. And I wondered, you know, you've you said from a young age you knew you wanted to go into research. That is, if we're being brutally honest, not a traditionally female centric field. Yeah. At what point do you think you made that decision. Were you aware that it was going to be quite a male dominated environment that you might be heading into? How did that play a factor in your kind of decision making or aspirations, would you say? Yeah. So, I mean, I must must admit that I've been incredibly lucky to have a family which has supported me throughout. In fact, I was the first girl in my family, in my dad's side of the family after 80 years. So my grandfather actually, you know, was celebrating the fact that they had a daughter in the family. And I held a very privileged position because of that, which meant, you know, both my maternal and paternal grandparents, as well as my parents were super, super open and always encouraged me to try out new things. I mean, as a kid, I was a very independent kid. I also was pretty strong-willed. I, If I decided to put my mind something uh, to something, I would do it. And I think my parents were very supportive to actually have nurtured me and enabled me to make use of that independence and, uh, you know, strong-willedness, if that is a word. <laughs> but growing up, I never had this mindset that I couldn't do something because I was a woman. I mean, Honestly, I just, for for me, it was never about who did what. It was always about, can I do it? Do I want to do it? And am I motivated enough to do it? And then figure out ways to, you know, help me get to the goal that I wanted. A good example of this is, 
at the age of eight, I said, I want to become a scientist. I went up to my parents and told them, look, I've decided I will be a scientist. My parents were like, okay, fine. Uh, what can we do to support you in there? And then I told them I wanted to do a PhD from the UK because, you know, this was one of the best places in the world to, to pursue scientific research. And then eventually I came to the conclusion that I wanted my PhD to be from King's because, and I wanted to work in, you know, the Randall division because Rosalind Franklin was a personal hero of mine. And this was shaped even more during my undergrad. I think having a female role model did really help, but I never saw it as the fact that me being a female could, could actually stop me. I don't think the realization really struck me up until the age where I, uh, rather up until the stage where I left my home to pursue my undergraduate studies, where I realized that this was actually a problem and people saw you differently. And, and it became even more apparent once I moved to the UK. And I realized that there were, you know, uh, challenges. I am conscious that there are challenges, but somehow inherently my mindset has always been very, very task or goal focused or a mission focused rather than, you know, questioning myself whether I can actually do it because I'm a woman or not. And I think that's really, really helped me. It just, in, in a sense, it, it gives you the power to bulldoze over barriers and, and not hold yourself back. I would not have been able to do half the things that I've done had I questioned myself or, you know, spent too much time worrying what, what barriers I'll face because I'm a woman. <laughs> yeah, I think it's uh, very interesting when you we have a lot of conversations around women in tech and women in science, and you spend a lot of your time actually talking about that rather than, I think, the men have the freedom to just crack on and do the work. And how do you divide your time between supporting the people that are having to face those barriers or coming up against those challenges versus just paving the way leading the way and then becoming the role model that will enable other people to follow in your footsteps. And I think we kind of have to walk that balance a little bit often as women that are advocating for other women, how, how we balance our time. And I wondered how, if you'd come across any of that kind of in your academic work or in being in the startup space, how much of your time do you spend just kind of doing the work versus looking up and around at the space that you're in and having those different conversations? Yeah, so I think I would say it's it's very hard to delineate, but the way I think about it is breaking it down into two parts. First one is responsibility. So every single thing I do today, I do it first and foremost because, you know, it's my mission in life to make a big impact and, and actually really change healthcare for the better. I've seen the downsides, you know, of, of not having timely access to healthcare because of a variety of reasons. And this is something I'm really, really passionate about. That's why I get up every day in the morning. But then I also am very conscious that I do have a responsibility in the work that I do to do it in an ethical, fair way, such that it sets examples and standards for other people around me. So, so I do spend a fair amount of time, uh, you know, supporting other organizations, bringing visibility to what I do. Podcast Today is a great example, and I do thank you for the opportunity. 
I also am involved personally in in a in supporting a range of different projects as a part of different networks. So one example is the Voices project, which is run as a part of the World Economic Forum Global Shapers Network in the Cambridge Hub, and they're doing some amazing work to create a more visibility around women in the public sphere. And they're trying to, at the moment, provide tools for early career women so that they can get much better understanding of what the options are uh, available to them, as well as be able to plan much better and get access to the right sort of mentors that they would need in the future. They're doing some pretty amazing work and, and I'm supporting them. I'm also, you know, participating in a lot of these talks. But at the same time, what I'm trying to do from my personal end and, uh, is build up networks, build up really diverse, inclusive networks. It, there are two aspects to it. First one, we've incorporated as a part of our culture in, uh, in Panakia around diversity and inclusion. If you have a look at our team today, our team is extremely diverse and we make sure we want to be as inclusive as possible despite our small stage. Most of it comes because I've surrounded myself with people who don't have this mindset around, you know, biasing or around discriminating because of certain types of biases or differences. Uh, my co-founder, Pandu, is a great example of that. The reason why we clicked was because we, we never saw whether somebody was, you know, male or female or from certain types of backgrounds. We always saw the potential in the person. Uh, and, and that's how we decided to work with each other as well, as opposed to, you know, having some sort of unconscious biases around what a person can and cannot do just because of their background, right? My partner is a great example. He's been incredibly supportive throughout. Of course, I did have a choice in picking who I <laughs> and, and I chose intentionally of being with someone who would support me throughout the decisions that I wanted to make because the road I'm picking is, is not a, an easy one and it's not everybody's cup of tea. Now I'm trying to work around creating wider networks of entrepreneurs as well. So there is a fantastic community of entrepreneurs who are like-minded, who are out there. And we oftentimes tend to have dialogues, but we also support each other in, in whatever challenges we may face as well as support the next upcoming generation and I mean it can be something simple just as you know whenever somebody comes to ask you for help you can always spare five ten minutes just listening to them and sharing some of your experiences so that you may not be able to give them advice but they can learn from your experience. Yeah I think that's really interesting especially what you're saying about building di diverse networks it's something that we talk a lot about at the Entrepreneurship Institute of you don't want groupthink. Diversity of thought is the way forward. You will get better solutions if you surround yourself with different people. And I wonder between you and Pandu, as you've grown your team at Panakia, what were the things you were kind of looking for? Was it kind of, we need someone who can do this specific function, but we're also looking for cultural fit. How did you go about building out your team? So, I mean, essentially at Panakia, we've been very deliberate and very, conscious about the culture that we are building and the way we define our culture is the overarching umbrella is excellence and I think that's the 
key characteristic which underpins both mine and Pandu's mindset is, uh, you know, it's all about excellence. Do we have that mindset for achieving excellence in, in whatever we pursue and pushing the limits and boundaries of what are the norms today? That's predominantly how Panakia was born. But as we started growing the team, we, we realized that there were some other characteristics which were not only uh, common within me and Pandu, but they were also present within uh, the members of the team. So we had this early workshop where we just brainstormed on, you know, what difference do we see Panakia making? What do we value Why uh, about the work that we are doing today? What makes us really excited? And we essentially ended up getting a list of five aspects or five pillars which would support the excellence umbrella. First one was we, we are very good at getting things done and that's our key focus. The second one is inclusion. We've specifically said inclusion uh, rather than saying diversity because we want to make sure that everyone and all viewpoints are represented. And when we say inclusion, we mean across all different parameters, whether that's your background, your skills, your training, whether that's your gender, we want representation across all of these different uh, aspects. Then we have integrity. Being a health tech focused startup, it is very, very important that the work that we conduct has the highest levels of integrity possible. And that's one of the things we realize most of our team members value the most. We are a very close-knit team. And one of the reasons why we are such a close-knit team is because every one of us is trustworthy and dependable. There have been instances where we've had to get things done at a very short notice. And you know, every single person has stepped up to the task and said, okay, I will take charge of this. You take charge of this. Let's do it together as a team rather than people having the mindset where they say, oh, this is not my work. And finally, I think the the most important one is being stakeholder focused, which means you're not only looking at your customers, but your team members, as well as everybody else around you that you interact with either directly or indirectly. And we want to make sure that as a company, as a team, we make a positive impact, whether that's, you know, it's, it's not just about healthcare, it's about doing healthcare the right way. Even our vision statement actually encompasses our mission towards inclusivity because we want to make one-click precision medicine accessible for everyone, everywhere. Yeah, I think that's being mission-driven and having you know that quality standard in your mind that you can kind of use as your overarching umbrella, I think is really an interesting way, way to think about it. And I wonder, as for you and Pandu, as the leaders of that team, were there bits of that that you... In, in creating a team and a culture that all is on the same page and is working towards this goal? Have you come up against personal barriers yourself around stepping into that leadership role? Was there any bits of that that you found challenging? That's actually a very interesting question. I never thought about it that way. Uh, the, the last two years have flown so quickly and our roles have evolved so quickly that we've not had a lot of time to think about whether something is really a challenge or is it a challenge because we are time pressed. From my personal perspective, our team has grown very rapidly, which has also meant that oftentimes I see pain points being created. One of the things that I realize we need to do more is 
is communicate with each other. And for me, the best way of solving a problem was inclusion, getting, you know, everybody's opinion on what they thought was the best means to structure our organizational communications. It's, it's just an example, but this is one of the big challenges we face. Also, being different people, we tend to communicate differently. We are quite conscious of that. And we always are pretty mindful to make sure that the points we are trying to make make are received in the, the appropriate way and conveyed clearly to the other person, but also in a respectful manner. I think that's one of the big things that we've had to do as individuals. As leaders, we've also personally have learned to grow and I've come to the comfort of being able to listen to people because I've realized that my role is more to facilitate us getting to a goal rather than making sure that I'm the one who's, who's, you know, providing all the insights and all the ideas all the time. So that's been an interesting journey for me, the move from being an innovator to being a leader. Of course, you know, there are always challenges you always have to balance because there are some stronger personalities oftentimes in a room versus the more quieter personalities. And, and it's, it's also been an interesting journey about knowing when is the right time to be assertive versus knowing when to step back and let others take the lead and let them grow as leaders. So yeah, it, it's still something I'm figuring out, uh, but but it's it's been a very interesting journey and I'm expecting this to change as we grow further. I think that's really interesting what you're saying, like for an early stage startup, if you're on your own, if it's just you and a co-founder, like you have to be responsible for everything. And then suddenly as you build a team, yeah. um, those responsibilities have to get delegated. And I think what you're saying, changing from being the innovator to the leader, I think is a, is an interesting transitional time for a startup as they move from kind of startup to scale up and, and how that dynamic shifts. I think it's a interesting yeah. time to think about for a lot of people. I wonder in kind of returning back to what we do at the Entrepreneurship Institute, obviously you came through King's 20 um, two, two years ago now, I think. <laughs> yeah. And thinking, you know, we've got new people coming through all the time we've got we're just in the middle of idea factory at the moment we're going to be opening another call for kings 20 soon and there's a lot of people sitting with their ideas figuring out how do i get started and i wonder looking back on your journey what the things are that have kind of stood out for you that you would say focus on this or think about this right at the early stages it will help people in their kind of early days of their journey yeah so i mean i'll try to keep my advice very very practical i think the three biggest learnings that I had from my journey so far, first one is don't mull over it too long, just get started, actually go and do it. Because the more you think about it, the, the more time you'll spend deliberating, you're, you're not getting any anywhere. The best way to actually find out the answers to your questions is actually going and doing the things that you want to do or testing it. I mean, in context of a founding a startup, just go speak to your customer and actually understand what their problems are, right? Before you jump into building something, it's important to understand whether something you're thinking is a problem is really a problem. The only way you're going to get answers to that is from your customers, not my mulling over your head um, and, and trying to figure out whether this is the right thing to do or not. That's one of the things that I learned. I think the second thing that I learned is ask. Don't be afraid to ask. I think this was uh, definitely one of the big, big learnings that I had to do because 
as a kid, I was very curious. I always used to ask. I never had any biases. I would just go and ask people why <laughs> or, or, you know, how. I was a very curious kid. I did lose a lot of the tendency to ask publicly when I moved to the UK. I think in part because of, you know, cultural differences, but also me just trying to figure out and learn new things and realizing, oh, I have a lot to learn. So, you know, let me just not ask uh, or, you know, just having these barriers in mind. Oh, that person is so busy. They might not have the time to help me. And when you think of things like that, it doesn't do anyone good. The, the worst that can happen when you ask is the person doesn't respond or person says a no. But there is a much higher likelihood that they will say a yes if you ask. If you don't ask, the answer is always going to be no. So that's the mindset I've taken, whether it's in terms of asking people or whether it's in terms of, you know, applying for things. I always be at a position, oh, let me just go ahead and do this and ask them or apply for a specific program like King's 20. If they offer me the position, then it's my choice to see whether I take it or not. But I will not be in that position unless and until I apply. So that, that's the sort of mindset that I've started taking in the last three to four years when I decided to make a big change. And I think the third one, which is more of a reflection of how I've been as a person, but be persistent. You know, for me, I set my goal to be a scientist at the age of eight. That's a very long time. And I was thinking very far ahead, but I still managed to reach that goal. I always set myself this goal that I would want to pursue research in the UK and in, you know, places where I, which I really admired the most, that being Kings and Cambridge. And I actually didn't manage to achieve both those goals. Of course, it took me a lot longer than I had thought it would. You know, I didn't just fly out of an undergrad and drop right into a PhD. I had to take a bit of a detour. But I would say and then it was worth it. And I managed to, you know achieve the goals that I set out uh, for myself much farther in advance than most normal people would. Um, but that, but that's generally me. But I think what's really helped me is being persistent, knowing what my goal is and actually pushing towards it. I mean, everybody faces obstacles, no matter what you think, no matter who the individual is, no matter what resources they have at their disposal, everybody has to face their own challenges. Challenges vary. But the moment you start accepting those and just realize that challenges are a part and parcel of life uh, and you start, you know, dealing with them that way, you're just going to have to be persistent. It just makes life so much simpler. I think there are three very good messages. So get stuck in, start doing something, ask for help and be persistent. I think that will take you a, a really long way. So I just want to say thank you for your time today. If somebody wants to keep up to date with what Panakia are doing, where can they follow you? What's the best way to kind of see what you're working on? Yeah, so I mean, we do have our own website, panakia.ai. We have a presence on Twitter. I am present on Twitter and LinkedIn as well. So those would be the best places to follow both me and Panakia if somebody wanted to follow us. That's great. Thank you very much. I really appreciate that. And we will see you next time on Disruptors. Brilliant. Thanks a ton, Rachel. See you soon. To find out more about the Entrepreneurship Institute, visit www.kcl.ac.uk forward slash entrepreneurship.